everyone, I'm Charlotte. And I'm Dina. Welcome to The Grim Curriculum. Oh my god, what a week it has See, been. I Sorry. <laughs> no, you're good. I dragged it out. <laughs> oh man, okay. Seriously. I don't know about y'all, but it seems oh. like everyone I have talked to this week is riding the struggle bus really hard. <laughs> Seriously, this time of the year is really, really difficult. Especially for those of us who live in places that are this affected by winter. Yeah, we're looking at 4.30pm sunsets and our province is on the list of the coldest places on earth for the next few months. Like, and I drive to work in the dark, I come home in the dark. Yeah, my drive here today was super fun. Lots of cars and trucks in the yep, ditch. Yep. Like, when we say this, we're not exaggerating. Yeah, we're currently having, like, the coldest day of the winter so far. So yeah. it's fun. But, first. but, in two days, or tonight, I can't remember, it's going to be minus 43. Oh my so, god. So, go team, go. So, we all have our ways to cope and get through these days. Some of us enjoy what is probably a questionable amount of caffeine. Holla. Others may enjoy smoking some jazz cabbage, or <laughs> relaxing with a beer at the end of the day. Either way, we all have things that work for us. And it's interesting because obviously that's created a huge market. We spend a ton of money each year on products that are supposed to make us feel better or make our lives easier. We consume some of these products knowing that they may not be good for us, but a lot of the time we trust the opinions of people we consider professionals. Exactly. Like doctors. And that brings us to today's story. Friends, today we're not talking about a killer. We're going to be discussing a man who seemed to have it all. Eben Byers was born into money, well-educated, successful, and the ladies loved him. His life couldn't have been going any better. Unfortunately, everything changed when he fell off of the top bunk on a train and injured himself. This led to issues with body pain and caused him to not feel like his usual self. Eben was prescribed Radithor by his doctor, a substance that was considered by many to be an energy drink or cure-all to their various ailments. He was so impressed with the effects of Radithor that he began ingesting as many as three bottles a day, eventually leading to him taking over 1,400 doses of it over the course of a few years. He felt like a whole new man. That is, until his jaw began to fall off because Radithor was simply just radioactive water. Eben Byer's body literally began to fall apart and eventually he died a horrible death. This one is truly stomach churning. Last week we touched on how horrifying early medicine was and we're really going to be exploring that today in a whole other light. Today we're going to be discussing the tragedy of what happened to Eben Byers as well as talking about how a product like this became so incredibly popular. Exactly. We're going to be diving deep into some weird medical history today as well as talk about how his death changed the future of medicine in a lot of different ways. And we really hope you haven't eaten recently. Ebenezer McBurney Byers, known as Eben to those around him, was born on April 12, 1880 in Pittsburgh, Pennsylvania. Unlike the majority of people that we cover, he was born with a huge amount of wealth, especially for at the time. With a name like Ebenezer, you kind of have to be, I feel. He was the son of Alexander Byers, a successful businessman who was the president of both a steel company and the National Iron Bank of Pittsburgh. So this guy was rich, like rich, rich. He had a huge art collection that was the envy of many, and he also found success in several wise business investments. We don't know a ton about Eben's early years, but nothing terrible really seems to stand out. Unlike most children growing up at the time, he had everything he could ever want, and more. He was also lucky enough to have access to a top-tier education at a time when a lot of children couldn't even read or write. Overall, it seems like he was a happy and well-adjusted young man. He was well-liked by his peers and he excelled in school. 
Eben was also a very accomplished athlete. It honestly just seemed like he was one of those people that had everything going for him. He had huge ambitions and wasn't afraid to work hard to make them happen. In 1902 and 1903, Eben won second place in the U.S. Amateur Golf Championship. By 1906, he had secured first. He graduated from what was then known as Yale College. In 1887, this school, along with others associated with it, were all blended into what is now Yale University. So again, pretty top tier. He was also incredibly popular with the ladies. This earned him the nickname Foxy Grandpa, even during his younger years. <laughs> I don't know if I love that or hate that, to be honest with you. We've talked a lot about some really messed up stuff on this podcast, but the nickname Foxy Grandpa, it sends shivers down my spine. I know they didn't mean it in a bad way, but it just like, ew. So this begs the question, why Grandpa? Right? Like, I want to talk to these ladies. He, For the record, at this point, like, he was only like 40-ish. Yeah, not, I mean, old for them. But, like, not old in the grand scheme of things. Right. I don't know. Maybe he had, a, like, a shock of white hair or something. I have no idea. Maybe he looked like a gilf. <laughs> oh, no. <laughs> oh, Eben. Once he finished school, his father made him the chairman of one of his companies, which was apparently the right choice because Eben excelled at this, too. And he became one of the most well-known industrialists in Pittsburgh. Honestly, at this point, it really must seem like this guy had the perfect life. Money, ladies, and success. Things were going really well for Eben Byers. That is until one day when everything changed. One day in November of 1927, Eben was riding on a train. He was headed home from the annual Harvard-Yale football game. He was 47 years old and living his best foxy grandpa life. He would regularly attend events and his presence was always noticed. The train ride itself was around 12 hours long, so he spent a little bit of extra money to get the best possible ticket so he could ensure that he was comfortable and he could get some rest. As the story goes, Eben had fallen asleep on his bunk when the train came to a sudden stop. The force sent him flying out of his bed. This left him with an arm injury that caused him immense and lasting pain. At first, he tried to ignore it, but soon enough, it just wasn't possible. The physical pain took a toll on his mental health in a pretty big way, as I'm sure anyone with chronic pain can attest. Eben went from being someone who was incredibly active to having very little interest in pretty much anything. This included sex. Since Eben had a lot of money, he was able to visit different doctors in search of a solution to the problems that he was having. Eventually, a doctor suggested that Eben take a popular product named Radithor. Now, you may find yourself listening to this and wondering how medicine had gotten to a point by 1927 where literal radioactive water would be suggested for pain and dreariness, which is absolutely fair. Before we talk about the effects of Radithor on Eben, we'd like to talk about what exactly this stuff was and the history of it. In order to understand exactly why people thought drinking irradiated water was going to improve their health, we have to go back quite a bit further. For centuries, people have been bathing in what we now know as radioactive water. This was something that was done by many on a regular basis, either at hot springs or at public bathhouses located in larger cities. And for what it's worth, these baths did seem beneficial. In 1832, the United States Congress established the Arkansas Hot Springs as the first federal reserve, which was basically the precursor to the national park system. By 1879, the Army and Navy General Hospital was established. This whole thing kind of sounds pretty terrible. They would have people sit in these tubs, and then they'd fill the tub with water from the hot springs, which seems simple enough. 
The problem was that the water was close to 140 degrees and caused a huge amount of discomfort to the already injured person laying in it. Don't get me wrong, I love a boiling hot shower. Like, I come out looking like a lobster, but 140 degrees would have your toes curling right, for sure and, like, bit not in a good way. So, eventually, they did find a way to cool the water down and make this all a little more bearable for the person being treated. <laughs> I like how that was an afterthought. Like, yeah, like, people are screaming and they're we, just like, deal with it, and then eventually they're like, yeah, okay. Yeah, we literally know that water at sea level boils at yeah. 100 degrees Celsius, but, like, let's dunk 140 degree water it's on in the people. name of medicine oh man in 1909 jj thompson the same man who discovered the electron wrote a letter to nature magazine regarding these hot springs he stated that the reason they were radioactive was due to a presence of radon gas that came from where the water flowed out soon after this the magazine conducted a study where they tested the water of famous hot springs around the world and published their findings to the public this led to an increased interest in this form of treatment and its popularity continued to rise Interest only increased when in 1910, Surgeon General Dr. George Torney wrote, Relief may be reasonably expected at the hot springs in various forms of gout and rheumatism, neuralgia, metallic or malarial poisoning, chronic Bright's disease, gastric dyspepsia, chronic diarrhea, chronic skin lesions, etc. The problem was that radium doesn't last out in the open, and the people who wanted to enjoy the benefits had to actually physically visit the springs in order to get to the water. People weren't yet able to keep it at home. It didn't take long for money-motivated people to see that there was a huge demand, and soon enough, all sorts of strange devices were being sold in order to accommodate it. This is where we really see the quackery begin, so to speak. Where there is a miracle cure, there is money to be made off of vulnerable people. We're going to share a few of these devices with you, and some of them, it's really hard to believe that the person inventing them even thought that that could be a legitimate uh, health device. Like, there's no way with some of these. Some of these are pretty bad. By 1912, a device called the Revigator was patented and sold to the public. This actually added small amounts of radioactivity to tap water at home. Their ads claimed that the device created what they described as a perpetual healing spring in the home. It was basically a jar that was made from an ore that contained radium. The idea was that you would fill it up and enjoy delicious radioactive water throughout the day. The instructions were simple. Fill jar every night. Drink freely when thirsty and upon arising and retiring, average six or more glasses daily. That's, that's a lot of radioactive water. I know they say to get your eight glasses, but not when it's... I, like, guys, why? You know how, like, when you're really hydrated and you pee and it's super clear? <laughs> like, I feel like these people were peeing and it was like, why Luminous? does it glow in the yeah. dark? Why, when the light is off, can I still see the way? I'm that healthy. Oh, my Lord. But there were a ton of products available. If it could be made and sold... It was. Another one was the Radiandoctrinator. Here are the instructions for that one. So the instructions are as follows. Wear the adapter like any athletic strap. This puts the instrument right under the scrotum as it should be. Wear at night, radiate as needed. As it should be. As it should be. And these were fancy as heck too. Men would pay $150 for them and they would come in a lovely little velvet case and they were encased in 14 karat gold. I, uh, you know, people, they spend their money on some things and I'm all for, you know, live your best life and treat yourself, but not like this, guys. Yeah, this is something else. So you too can pay $150 to irradiate your nuts. 
poor guys probably wondering why they couldn't get their wives pregnant. Although that being said, in those days, they probably would have blamed their wives. I mean, although it is the perfect gift for the foxy grandpa in your Uh, life. I mean... It was actually invented by the same man who invented Radithor, William Bailey. We'll be discussing him in great detail in a short while. People with breathing issues also used the Radium Nose Cup and Respirator by Radium Health Products. These were pretty simple. The user would simply place it on their face and inhale air that had radon added to it. And these guys were very confident in their product, boasting... Radium. Scientists found it. Government approved it. Physicians recommend it. Users endorse it. We guarantee it. Surely it's good. And that last part is all in capitals, so you know they they really meant that with their whole chest. Absolutely. Their marketing team. Oh yeah. 10 out of 10. Top tier. Radium salt in bathwater was used by some doctors to treat patients with things like arthritis and gout. Others claim that it helped with things like dementia and quote-unquote insanity. So it's covering the full spectrum of all human health problems. By 1913, the pharmaceutical industry realized that they too could help people and of course make a lot of money doing it. Soon after, scientists discovered new ways to extract radium from what is now known as uraninite, and this led to the early stages of radiation therapy, which we need to clarify is very different than what we're talking about today. It wasn't just quacks and money-hungry businessmen that were promoting the benefits of radiation. Soon enough, it was being studied at some of the top schools in the world. A Yale professor by the name of Bertrand Boltwood explored this further and published his findings. He wrote that radiation was beneficial because it carried electrical energy into your body. This energy stimulated cell activity. This affected the body by, and these are his words, arousing all secretory and excretory organs. So you may find yourself asking, what the hell does that mean? Basically, if you drank this water, it would revitalize you. Many people reported feeling younger, aches going away, and an increase in energy. I'm sure it did stimulate cell activity because, you know, cancer cells are still cells. Oh, yes. Now, the increase in energy was very popular among men who used it to enhance their stamina in the bedroom. No little blue pill at that time, I'm afraid. Radioactive water is your next best thing, clearly. And honestly, look at how much money Viagra actually makes. People were just as horny back then as they are now, and the idea that you could buy something, simply drink it, and suddenly be better in bed appealed to a lot of people. You can uh, remember this little fun fact when we get back to Foxy Grandpa Eben. Don't worry, we have not forgotten about him. Eventually, all sorts of products containing radium were available for purchase, including toothpaste, facial creams, food, and even suppositories. One of the most famous products was the Ray Cura. This was a quilted pad filled with radium ore invented by J. Bernard King. He claimed that when worn, it would emit radium emanation into parts of the body that were ill. This, he said, would attack the sick parts of the body and could heal things like cancer, epilepsy, and more. He made quite a bit of money off of this, but all of that went away when the quilts were investigated. They opened them up and saw that they contained not radium ore, but soil. I mean, they might have worked as like a radio or uh, um, a weighted blanket. Honestly, that's kind of what I thought when you I You know, this, maybe people like... felt better because they were sleeping better because yeah. it was helping with their anxiety, you know? We listed a lot of different types of products and treatments that were used by both legitimate doctors and quacks. And this brings us back to Radithor. Radithor was a product invented by a man named William Bailey. He was incredibly proud of his invention and claimed that Radithor is harmless in every respect. 
Out of the many issues that will arise with this whole thing comes right at the beginning with William Bailey himself. The man was a fraud. He claimed to be a doctor when in reality he was a Harvard dropout. Another huge issue was that something like radon gas has a half-life of just three days. Radium has one of around 1600 years. Radithor contained radium. He developed it by dissolving high concentration of radium isotopes into distilled water. He advertised it as a cure for the living dead and struck a deal with many of the physicians around. Every time they prescribed Radithor to a patient, they were paid a 17% commission. This appealed to a lot of doctors and soon enough it was being prescribed all around the country. This brings us back to Eben Byers. At this point, Eben was completely fed up. He had visited numerous high-end doctors and tried various things to help with his pain and lack of energy, but nothing helped. He purchased a half-ounce bottle of Radithor for $1 and drank it almost right away. It seemed to make him feel better, and so he purchased multiple bottles. Soon enough, his arm pain was gone. He was in a better mood, he slept more, and his sex drive was back. It's actually said that this worked so well for him that he bought a whole bunch and handed out to his various lady friends and even gave some to his racehorses. Because of course he had racehorses. Of course, Ebenezer. The next few years of his life seemed to go pretty well. He reported a toned-up feeling. Unfortunately, what he didn't feel was that the radioactive water he was drinking was actually rotting his body from the inside. Eventually, he stopped feeling the benefits of drinking Radithor. He had consumed almost 1,400 bottles, which was more than three times the lethal dose. By 1931, he began to lose weight and was experiencing horrific headaches. This is when this story starts to get pretty graphic, so just a little heads up for everyone. Eben's bones and tissue began to fall apart from the inside out, which caused his jaw to begin to completely disintegrate. Both the top and lower part of his jaw were so badly decayed that Eben had to undergo surgery to have his entire lower jaw removed. This left him with a large hole where the lower part of his face once was. His brain was horribly abscessed and holes had begun to form all around his skull. And remember, this is all before Eben passed away. He was very much still alive at this point. The severity of these injuries is almost unimaginable. Now, there is one small kind of positive sort of thing to note, if you can even call it that. The radiation's damage has caused it so that Eben did not feel most of the pain. And that's what the sources say, but honestly, I have such a hard time believing that. Like, I really want to believe that it's true, because otherwise he would have suffered in an absolutely unimaginable way, but I really hope he didn't feel any of this. I hope not. You kind of hope that the radium had fried his nerve endings and he couldn't feel anything. But physical pain aside, I'm sure that the mental anguish he felt must have been unimaginable. He was a guy on top of the world. He was rich, handsome, fit, successful, and it was all taken away by a silly little accident he fell out of bed and it's it's almost even worse because he had that time of like oh i'm better yes it lulled him into a false sense it of security really, really a lawyer was sent to his home to see his condition and get a testimony from him he wrote we went to southampton where byers had a magnificent home there we discovered him in a condition which beggars description young in years and mentally alert he could hardly speak his head was swathed in bandages. He had undergone two successful jaw operations, and his whole upper jaw, excepting his two front teeth and most of his lower jaw, have been removed. All of the remaining bone tissue of the body was slowly disintegrating, and holes were actually forming in his skull. Ooh, 
I can't even, and not to get incredibly graphic, but I'm about to, um, I can't imagine the smell. Oh my god, yeah, that would be horrific. Honestly, all of this sounds like something from a horror movie, like this poor man. The Federal Trade Commission, they first wanted Eben to testify in court against William Bailey, but they very quickly realized that that wasn't going to be possible. On December 19th, 1931, Bailey was ordered to cease and desist by various parties and was told he was no longer allowed to say that Radathor was harmless. Eben Byers passed away in his home on March 31st, 1932. He was 51 years old. Eben was buried in the Byers Mausoleum in Pittsburgh's Allegheny Cemetery in a lead-lined coffin that was specifically designed to absorb the radiation still coming off of his body. It's been predicted that his body will emit radiation for centuries, very much like the body of Mary Curie. But with Eben Byers dead, what happened to William Bailey? His company was shut down by the FDA, but at this point he had made so much money off of Radathor that it didn't really matter. He had sold over 400,000 bottles before he was shut down. He started another company shortly after, selling things like radioactive belt clips and paperweights. So basically, old Bailey learned nothing. No, he, it really doesn't seem like it, no. Well, he did learn that he could make mountains of money off of sick and vulnerable people. William Bailey passed away from cancer in 1949. And it begs the question, was it from being around so much radium himself? Perhaps he was sampling his own goods. There are notes that say that his body was also very radioactive afterwards too. I would so, imagine that even yeah. if you were, say, friends with either of them and oh my you just God, happened to yeah. hang out, you were probably, you probably had contact radiation Absolutely. at this point. After the death of Evan Byers, the world began to look at radium poisoning more seriously, especially many of the doctors who had realized that they probably shouldn't have let their patients drink radioactive water. Unfortunately, radium-based products were still sold even in the 1980s. This included the Lifestone cigarette holder, which came out in 1964. This contained a small radium source that smoke would pass through before you inhaled it. The manufacturer claimed... The wondrous efficacy of radium emanation protects your health from injurious element in cigarettes and makes it sweeter and milder. Yum. Ugh. We love face, mouth, and throat cancer, guys. So it seems like eventually the doctors learned their lesson, but a lot of other people needed some extra time to do it. Mind you, in 1964, lots of doctors were telling people to smoke, so this isn't exactly like a huge surprise. This is what we mean when we say medical history is wild. Sure, this isn't our usual type of story, but you can't really argue that it is terrifying. Especially considering you want to think you can trust your doctor. Eben Byers was exhumed in 1965 so that his body could be tested. It was still found to contain extremely dangerous levels of radiation, and it's likely that this will not change anytime soon. The Radathor was all destroyed, although some empty bottles were donated and are displayed at various museums. And that brings us to the end of the story of Eben Byers and the history of Radathor. So how, how are we feeling about this one? I'm not a huge fan of doctors to begin with, so this story it just kind of like hit me a little differently. I, I feel really bad for Eben, but what bothers me more was that William Bailey, he just kept chugging and he was making money until he died. He did not seem to give a fuck. The scary side of medical history is something else to me because we go to the doctors with the impression that one, they know what they're doing, but two, that we can trust them. And this seems like a case where a lack of knowledge and a huge amount of greed led to the death of a man. And it, this is such a shitty way to oh, go. Not the way to go. No. The history of medicine is fascinating. And at times it 
gets quite morbid, to be honest with you. I'm glad we've come a long way since Radium Fever. Eben Byer should never have gone through what he went through. It's tough because, of course, just like with any profession, most people become doctors because they genuinely want to help people, but greed sometimes slithers its way in. To give them the benefit of the doubt, for the people and professionals who truly believed in radium therapy, how exciting it must have been to basically have discovered a cure-all, and how devastating once they realized they were dead wrong. Can you imagine, like, if you were, like, okay, the greedy ones, they probably didn't really give oh, a fuck, no. but, like, if you were, like, a good guy doctor... And you thought you were doing the right thing, and then you found out that you were just poisoning everyone? And I mean, it's science. We learn new things all yep. the time. Things are disproved. Things are, you know, theories are proved true, and so on and so forth. I, I, but I, yeah, you're right. I feel like you would hold a lot of guilt if you genuinely thought you were helping people, and then you turned around and it's like, ugh, actually, it's rotting them from the inside. I'd hope they'd feel guilty. We have quite a few new things coming up, you guys. We will be releasing a special Christmas ghost stories episode on Patreon for our monthly bedtime stories soon. And we're also covering a very special festive topic next week, which should be super fun. And you guys deserve something a little bit lighter hearted after the last <laughs> few weeks. Yeah, I mean, you guys, we are called the Grim Curriculum for a reason, but um, sometimes it's nice to have a little break. Yeah, for Christmas. For Christmas. Um, speaking of Patreon, please go check us out on there to support the podcast and get a ton of extra content. There are a bunch of different tiers for everybody, and we've got a lot of cool stuff. So that is patreon.com slash thegrimcurriculum, exactly how it's spelled everywhere else. And while we're on the topic of Patreon, we want to give a huge shout out and thank you to our Grim VIP tier. Yes, because we were notified that, unfortunately and stupidly, we forgot you last week. Yeah. So we apologize. And to the ones, you're, you're the best. So thank you to Brian, Hillary, Lisa, Mayhem Mudkip, and Pink Flamingo 20 Y'all are the bomb.com. We're sorry we missed you last week. And um, I'll say it again. Thank you, Brian, Hillary, Lisa, Mayhem Mudkip, and Pink Flamingo 20. See, now we said it twice. We yeah, that's for it. last week. Yeah, there you Betcha. go, guys. Yeah. Uh, I don't think we have anything else to discuss. I think we're good. Yeah, we cool, we cool. This oh, was a good man. one. This was a lot of fun. I liked this one. So, until next week, make sure you don't miss out on the Grim Curriculum news by following us on Instagram at the Grim Curriculum and just Grim Curriculum on Twitter. We're also on TikTok and Facebook, so go look us up. We're also available on all the podcast platforms except apple music and hopefully someday we're going to be there soon we are working on that you can also find us individually on social media we're going to link all those personal socials down below along with some other fun links thanks for listening this has been the, the grim, grim curriculum, curriculum. And if you're still with us and currently staring at a screen right now, or you spend a lot of time staring at screens in general, like everyone seems to these days, try out the 20-20-20 rule. Every 20 minutes, focus your eyes 20 feet away for 20 seconds. This will help with your muscle fatigue. You're welcome. Bye. Bye. Bye.